Let me uh, start by debunking a myth that the Painos have it all together. Um, yesterday was our daughter Eleanor's birthday, and so we threw her a birthday party, as you do for your children. And if you've done this for your children, you know the amount of work that goes into throwing a birthday party. So we did like an outdoor movie night for Nora and some of her friends, which means we were up late last night making sure that like all of our furniture didn't stay outside. We're, you know, it's a lot of work. So late last night, I'm thinking, I really need to get ready for tomorrow. And I thought, you know what? I'm an adult. I can wake up early and knock this thing out first thing. Woke up this morning, bright and early, ready to go, caffeinated, and our uh, power went out. And everything that I had done on our desktop was suddenly no longer accessible to me. And so I stand before you this morning with uh, a couple chicken scratch notes and a couple of ideas that I wanna share with us. The gospel opens, we saw someone, not one of us, casting out demons in your name, doing those things that we do, but this person is not part of our group, so we tried to stop this person. And Jesus tells his disciples, don't stop them. Whoever is not against us is for us, is for us. This idea of the us-ness of our faith is what I want us to focus on this morning. The uh, epistle reading for today, the other New Testament reading, we follow the lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of readings that's intended to move the church through the, the entire arc of scripture over the course of about three years. It's not perfect, um, but it's one of the ways that we, as the community of faith, get exposed to these stories over time. So listen to these words from James that were offered today. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, listen to this, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, from the faith, and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wanderings will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. A couple of quick ideas here. These texts point us to this idea that there is a call to get others involved in your life of faith. James, he says, he says that somehow this is actually for your benefit, that if you should be someone who finds themselves straying from the truth, straying from their faith, that other people can actually protect you, can help carry you back to the path 
that was intended for you. This is hard for a couple of reasons. It's hard because as moderns and Americans, we tend to prioritize the private dynamics of our faith over and against the us-ness of our faith. We tend to substitute a kind of personal devotion, which is wonderful. We substitute personal devotion for a kind of private discipleship, which is impossible. There's no way for us to be Christian alone, Christian by ourselves. We've had a saying here at Sanctuary for a number of years that faith is as corporate as it is private. And still, faith with other people is so strange to us. It's so odd for us to actually engage in. It's strange because as moderns, we have a sense, and this is really wonderful, but we have a sense of control over our lives. And this is something, this idea of control that we kind of set our own destiny, we kind of set our own, uh, chart our own journey, right? These are relatively new ideas in human history. This idea that I have control over my life and who I want to be and what I want to become. For most of human history, the question was simply, who am I supposed to be? And you had other people around you, including your own family, that was making sense of that question. Who am I supposed to be? Whatever your father happened to do, that's likely the life that you were going to lead. This is the work you were going to do. If your father made shoes, you're going to be somebody who makes shoes, right? But then here in, moder- in, in modern era, modern times, that isn't true for us. Suddenly, we become people who don't ask, what am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? We start asking the question, who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? What do I want to do? It's an amazing development for human history and a welcome one. But it is problematic, especially when we apply it to issues of faith. Mostly because we tend to think that we can do all of this all by ourselves. Our Americanness makes this difficult because we value things like independence and freedom that we don't need anyone else, and we apply these same ideas to our faith, to our spirituality. I saw a, uh, a it's a silly little meme. Most memes are silly and small, about this big. And it had a picture of uh, an individual, I think he was Amish on there, And it said something like, you know, someone asked this Amish man, are you a Christian? And his response to this person was, you'd have to ask my neighbor. Now, I love what this is getting at. It's a really cheesy way of doing it. But I had, of course, a Facebook friend post this on their timeline with this little meme. And their comment on it was, You know, this is cute, I like what they're trying to say, but make no mistake, no one else determines if I'm a Christian. No one else determines if I'm a Christian. I understand what he's saying, but I think there's a problem that's laying not too far under the surface of a comment like, no one else determines if I'm a Christian. Because here's the thing, I need other people to remind me, to determine for me that I am a Christian. 
This is part of what James is getting at when he says, if you happen to wander from the truth, other people can carry you back. This is the beauty of the sacrament of baptism, is that in that moment when you are immersed in the water and we say these words over you, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are now brought into the body of Christ. And part of that moment, we look at all of you people and we say, as we do this, as we baptize this individual, will you do everything in your power to hold these people up in their faith? To, again in James' words, to carry them back when they wander from the truth. I need other people to determine for me, to remind me that I'm a Christian, that I belong to a community of faith that we are a particular kind of people in the world. This is also difficult for us, not just because we're moderns and Americans, but also because we are Protestants. Now again, our Protestantism is beautiful because it, it does emphasize the need for personal faith, for trust, for personal devotion. It's actually a resistance to nominal Christianity, to name only Christianity. And so what so much of what Luther was doing was saying, we don't want the nominal kind of Christianity. We want the transformational kind of Christianity, not just in name only, but something that is true, something that is right, something that actually calls us to living in the world in a particular kind of way. Beautiful, necessary. But there's the danger in all of that thinking in that it does make our faith subjective and it does make it private. So it turns into all kinds of problematic ideas, right? That we start to think that our story, the life that we live, is the story, is the way that everyone lives their life. And so our ideas become the best ideas. This leads to a lot of Again, a lot of problems, specifically a lot of bad biblical interpretation. We all have like that crazy aunt, right? That uh, loves to post Revelation 6 or something every time there's a blood moon. Um, how do we get there? <laughs> we get there by thinking that somehow scripture is like a fortune teller's crystal ball and we center our own lives in the center of it trying to make sense of every little thing that happens, that goes on. Maybe you are the crazy ant posting about blood moons. You need to stop it. <laughs> See, because so much of what we need is we need to have our lives contextualized in the us, in the people of God, not just in me. And this isn't easy. It's not easy because it requires a degree of humility, it requires a degree of vulnerability, inviting other people in, asking for one another's prayers like James encourages us is hard. To admit that we need help is hard. But still, this is the life that we're called to live. Our impulse is not to move toward one another naturally. Our impulse is really this business of dividing, of division, of finding out who are my people and making sure that our people and those people don't have to interact a whole lot. 
making sure that our people know that those people really are those people and not our people. This is something of what we see in our gospel. Remember Jesus' words, whoever is not against you is for you. We don't hear that well in the 21st century. We can't hear whoever is not against you. What we hear is whoever is not for you is against you. And this is not a new problem for us or for the gospel text. This is actually a throwback to another story that we find in Numbers chapter 11. And there's this odd story where Moses is having to deal with the complaints of the people of God, as he so often does, and they all want meat, okay? The people of God are like, we're hungry, we want meat, enough of this manna stuff, Um, and so they start complaining. And Moses hears their complaints and basically turns around and says to God, like, I didn't ask for this. Like, I did not make these people to be your people, so you need to sort all of this out because I'm done. Like, I want you to kill me and make it quick, (laughs) is basically how Moses responds to God and the people of God's complaints. And so, something strange kind of happens. uh, God tells Moses, okay, you need to get like 70 elders and bring them out to the temple. And I'm going to take the spirit that is on you, Moses, And I'm going to disperse it among these 70 people. Now, what we find out is that as they leave the tents and they go out to the temple, there are two guys who decide to stick around with all the other people. And when God is dispersing the spirit that is on Moses onto these other 70, these two guys back in town start prophesying. The spirit it says, falls on them. (laughs) And so they start prophesying. They start speaking to the people of God. And suddenly a couple people rush back from town and they enter the temple and they say, whoa, 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 whatever you guys are doing in here, there's two guys that are out there doing the exact same thing. And we should tell them to stop it. Sound familiar? People are casting out demons in your name. We should tell them to stop it. And Moses says, would not that all of God's people prophesy. This is not a new problem for us. Moses, Jesus, James, what are they all saying? They're saying, get other people involved in your faith. We prefer this privatized, individualistic version of faith because of fear. We're afraid of being seen. We're afraid of opening up. We're afraid of prying open these relationships of insider and outsider, who is for us, who is against us. So the question becomes, how do we move toward the us-ness of faith? Just a few quick points for us today. One, you should go to church. (laughs) You should gather with the people of God. Faith, scripture affirms, is something that happens together. There's something that happens when we gather that doesn't just happen when we're by ourselves, where two or three are gathered together in my name, right? Something happens when we gather as the people of God, when we pray the prayers of the church and we sing songs to God, when we come to this table. And 
what we see is that when we approach church, the community of faith, as a kind of commodity, something that we consume, it becomes something that is just for our benefit and not something that is essential to our faith and to our life. But church is an us space. We pray, we say the creed, we believe. We come to the Eucharist. We pray our Father. The sacraments of the church cannot be celebrated by ourselves. We have to gather. There have to be more than just me here doing what we are doing. This gathering of the people of God it actually signifies our need for one another. It points us and represents to us the usness of faith. The whole arc of the liturgy that we participate in week after week, it reminds us of the usness of what we do. So go to church. Second, we should also make an effort to recognize and to be aware of the communion of saints. This is one of the lines that we say in the creed week after week after week. We believe in the communion of saints. And this idea implies that by faith, we are all connected to each other somehow. If you've, um, if you've ever left the United States, traveled abroad, specifically to some place that does not speak English, and if you've spent much time there at all, and all of a sudden you start hearing somebody speaking words that are familiar to you. Something lights up inside of you, right? We, uh, we spent a little bit of time in Paris a few years ago. And the number of times when you're walking down the street and you just tune everything out, right? Because you can't understand a word that anybody's saying. And then all of a sudden you hear somebody like, where do I go now? And you're like, wait, like I know those words. <laughs> And you're drawn to those people, right? You want to go find out, where are you from? And it doesn't matter. Like, you could be from New Jersey, and they're from, like, Wisconsin, and you're like, oh, man, I've heard good things. <laughs> you don't even have to be, like, geographically related. You're just like, oh, you know something about the place where I come from. That's the impulse of the community of faith. That should happen to us when we find other people who are part of the people of God. Not, we saw someone casting out demons as we engage with people who are Methodist or Presbyterian, Catholic, Roman Catholic. No, <laughs> that's not our impulse. Our impulse should be, what is God doing in your life? What happened to you? What's your story? How did you get involved in this whole thing that I'm also involved in, but it just looks a little different? How did you become part of this story? And this is something that has happened throughout time. In the person of Abraham, remember, God tells Abraham he wants him to go and be a nation that blesses all of the other nations. A brand new idea for human history, that you're not a, a, a tribal, closed-knit group of a nation that's just out to rival with other nations and take what other nations have to be the biggest and the baddest. No, God says to Abraham, I want you to be a nation that blesses other nations. A brand new thing, a brand new idea in human history. And while Abraham is out doing that, what happens? He runs into this guy, Melchizedek, comes out of nowhere, and he comes 
bearing gifts. And he blesses Abraham. Interestingly enough, he, he offers him grain, <laughs> offers him wine. And so all of a sudden, for the person of Abraham, this brand new thing that he thought God was doing in the world, the guy who was the catalyst of this new thing meets somebody else who happens to be in on the same thing. And he has no idea where he came from, no idea why he has this impulse to bless instead of curse. That should be our impulse. And not just with living saints, this communion of saints, but also considering the saints that have gone before us. Again, I want us to hear James' words. If anyone wanders and is brought back by another, understand none of us come to faith by ourselves. None of us make it here on our own. We're all carried by someone. Maybe it was a grandmother, a parent, a friend. All of us are carried into the people of faith by someone else of faith. And there's some way in which we owe a debt to those people who lived faithfully throughout time, throughout history, because their faith somehow made our faith possible today. In uh, the gospel text, it has all of those really interesting little stanzas about hacking off your limbs. And Clement in the first century, listen to how quickly the church was like, no, 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 no. Um, in the first century, this is like 97 AD, Clement writes, none of you should think Jesus is commanding the cutting off of limbs. Like, don't do that. But here's what they tied it to. They're talking about the body of Christ. And this idea of hacking off your hand or hacking off your foot or pulling out your eye, they say, these are your friendships. That friendship for us, the people that we find ourselves around, living our lives with, they matter. It's a matter of life and death for us. The people that we value, the kind of life we live with those people around us. This isn't about doing a bad thing with your foot somehow and lobbing your foot off. It's about making sure the people you are journeying with, that you're living life faithfully with them, knowing that to sever those relationships is a serious, serious act. As if you've cut off your hand or pulled out your eye. That's how seriously the church has understood the work of the people of God. So go to church, be aware of the communion of saints, both living and dead. And then learn to bear with one another's stories. All of us on a pretty deep level long for connection especially in the church. We look for ways to get connected, look for ways to make friends in these spaces. And in the church, this is not just about getting what we want. This isn't about just getting our own interests. In some ways, we see friendship as just a way of assuaging our loneliness. Or sometimes friendship is us getting in with the right or the important people. That's what it looks like to have 
connection grounded in our own interests. That's not the kind of connection the church is called to. Connection in this space is about witnessing to the work and the word of God in your life and in the life of other people. It looks a little bit like like becoming whale people. It looks like for Jonah, having this space where the rebel can be stomached until they can hear the word that God has for them and for us. It's a space that can hold that tension of, I don't know that we're all living in the ways that we're supposed to and that we're called to. Maybe some of you are actively resisting and running away from the life that God has intended for you. We have space here to be whale people, that you can stay here and be part of these people until you can figure that out and we can also hear the good news that comes of it. We need to be whale people. This is what it is to be the people of God. Not judgmental, not controlling, but making space for us to be. We also see this in another familiar story of Naaman the leper. Naaman was a big deal and he has leprosy and he's trying to figure out what can I do? How do I figure all this out? And somebody says to him, you should go see the man of God. And the man of God's like, great, go dip in this river. And he doesn't even like go and tell him. He like sends a messenger to Naaman, which is kind of a slap in the face and tells him, you know, go dip in this river seven times. And the response is, we've got better rivers back home Like, why would I go to this river, right? Sometimes burying each other's stories, being the whale people. Sometimes this looks like being part of a community and sometimes the part of us-ness looks like doing things that you think are beneath you. Dipping in these rivers when there are better rivers elsewhere. Sometimes it looks like jumping in and giving of your time and your energy, sometimes your money to something that you say, this could be energy better spent elsewhere. This could be money better spent elsewhere. But you invest it here. You invest your time here. Direct your energies here. Why? Because we are part of a community of faith. So there may be better rivers elsewhere. Some of you feel called to this river. And so we direct our energy and our time and our efforts into this space. Some of us need to start volunteering in a space like sanctuary. Some of us don't like the idea of volunteering in kids ministry. And it feels like the only thing we ever ask people to do is to volunteer in kids ministry. But let me tell you, our kids constitute a third of our community. Even now, if there are 100 people here on Sunday morning, predictably 35 of them are our children. And they're part of us. Remember those words that we pray, that blessing that we speak over them, that we recognize them as members of this community with full inherent dignity. Some of us need to hear that today. That to jump in, to volunteer, to serve in a community looks like doing those things that sometimes we've convinced ourselves those things are beneath us. The good news is that Naaman is healed. So some of us need to follow Naaman's footsteps. So go to church, 
Think about the communion of saints. Let's bear one another's stories. Finally, I'll be done. Let's decide by faith to invite people into your life. This requires faith because as wonderful as it is to do life together, it can also open us up to all kinds of pain and disappointment. And here's the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. You will be disappointed at some point, at some stage in your life with the people of God, the community of faith, you will be disappointed. Why? We're human. We are human beings. And the church has said that the, the church is made up of all kinds of broken and imperfect people. But where else can we go to be Christian? We need one another. And here's the thing, inviting others into your life means letting other people know when you need help. We have a number of priests on our staff. And one of the things that we encourage people to do is when you need prayer, let us know and we will come to you and we will pray for you. If you can't be here on a Sunday, you couldn't come and receive the sacraments, let us know and we will bring it to you. We will package up the Eucharist. We will drive to your house and offer it to you. But here's the thing. We're human, so we can't be somewhere we don't know we need to be. <laughs> Let us know when you need help. And that's hard. We understand that. But there will come a time when we all have to carry one another's burdens. It's inevitable. That's kind of what all of this is about. And there is a way that this opens us up to the wholeness that Jesus promises us. Promises us and the wholeness that the world needs to see. Amen.